From the Nevada Independent, this is On the Trail. I'm Jacob Solis. This week, the first Republican presidential nominating contest is in the rearview mirror, and soon the second will be too. But with the Nevada Republican caucus just three weeks away, is the race nearly over before it's even begun? And if it isn't, does Nevada, the first nominating contest in the West, we remind you, still matter in 2024? My colleagues Sean Galanka and Gabby Bierenbaum join me to break it all down. Gabby, Sean, thanks for joining me. Good to be here, Jacob. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, we were going to start by talking about Iowa, but we actually have breaking news as we're recording this uh, that Republican Governor Joe Lombardo has told our reporter Tabitha Mueller that he is going to caucus for Donald Trump next month. Uh, Sean, what do we take away from that? Why is that news? I mean, this is the the top Nevada Republican going to bat for Trump. I mean, I think it's kind of a sign of where the race is now, as he told Tabitha, um, for all practical purposes, the race is over. So I think, um, you know, certainly Joe Lombardo recognizes where this primary race is. And, and this is kind of a, a reflection of that. And, um, you know, kind of as it's laid out in the story, he, uh, you know, certainly has had a relationship with Trump in the past. Trump endorsed him in his run for governor in 2022. And so this seems to, you know, extend that relationship. Yeah, I guess, Gabby, does this take a little bit of the air out of the balloon of the Nevada caucus? You know, if the governor is saying that it's all over? I feel like that balloon hit the ground long ago. Um, This is the spy balloon that was shot down. Uh, there is South no Car- over South Carolina, which makes sense here. I, I feel like this is the result that the party's been going for all along by having a caucus. Um, you already have a race that's uh, not over, but you don't have those other two candidates uh, other than Trump in strong positions. By the time they get to Nevada, I imagine they'll be even weaker. So I feel like this is a bit, if you're an anti-Trump Republican, it's probably a bit like the Vanessa Hudgens talking about COVID, where she was like, this is devastating, but maybe inevitable. Uh, that's how I feel about this Lombardo endorsement. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to find a way to get that comparison into print. So <laughs> I guess with that as as the scene setter. All right, everyone, let's talk about how much Nevada matters. So let's let's roll back a little bit. Let's talk about the state of the race. Uh, we should address the Iowa in the room. The Iowa caucus did happen. There were results and Trump won in a functional landslide, right? The second place was over 30 points away. Ron DeSantis barely cracked 20 points. Nikki Haley a little close behind, something 17-ish points. You know, if they're functionally the only two candidates in the race, okay, New Hampshire is on Tuesday. We expect New Hampshire to be a little more competitive, at least between Haley and Trump. But, you know, Gabby, what do we even make of these first results of the year? Uh, first of all, I'm sure the Iowa in the room is someone's written a one X play of that at the uh, <laughs> Iowa Writers Workshop. Great title. Um, but I think it just shows that DeSantis, for example, was completely banking on Iowa. He visited all 99 counties. And if he can't even get within 30 points of Trump in Iowa, state he's put tons of resources in, what are the odds that he can really do any damage to Trump standing in Nevada when he's the only other major candidate taking Trump on in the caucus? Um I think New Hampshire could be interesting if Nikki Haley performs well there. Perhaps she has momentum going into South Carolina, which is where she's from, where she was the governor of. Um, but the more that Trump is able to show his dominance in states where other candidates are competing, the more and more unlikely it is that in states where the other Republican candidates have pretty much zero presence, 
in Nevada, the more and more likely it is that they're going to be able to make a dent in Trump's standing. Yeah, and I guess to that point, you know, Sean, what do we make of the way that presidential candidates have treated Nevada so far? I mean, you know, talking about how much Nevada matters, I mean, what what do we even make of the fact that no one's really been here over the last year plus? Yeah, I mean, I think it's reflective of, I guess, the lack of competition in the primary. You know, obviously, this this Nevada GOP is one that Trump has a quite a hold over. Um, I mean, we've seen the polls on on the Nevada primary or caucus and, and Trump, you know, wins every single one in a landslide. I think kind of the divide there is is uh, a much larger gap than it ever is in, in Iowa or New Hampshire, you know, just in terms of the polling. So um, there's really not much, I think, to compete for here in terms of uh, you know, a chance to beat Trump, but also in terms of delegates there, you know, there there really aren't a lot of delegates from a, a state the size of Nevada. Um, and it's, you know, it's just not a place that I think DeSantis and Haley have a lot of reason to compete for, um, you know, just kind of given the the bases that they're they're shooting for and because of, you know, Trump's hold here. Yeah, real quick on the delegate thing, because, I, I, you know, it's not like Nevada has a hugely different population from, say, Iowa, right? It's like three-ish million people, give or take. Um, but it's the number of Republicans, right? And there's simply so many nonpartisans in Nevada. There's not that many Republicans, right? Republicans are like the third biggest major party if you include nonpartisans. So, like, does that have an impact on the way that Republican presidential candidates look at, like, okay, here are the delegates on offer— to say nothing of the caucus primary mess, which we will get into, uh, why even spend my time there? To be honest, I think because of that, it's puzzling that they wouldn't invest more in Nevada, right? Iowa is a state that a Republican candidate is going to win in the general election, you know, pretty much no matter what, whereas Nevada is a is a key battleground state. So I think, you know, DeSantis and Haley de-emphasizing Nevada kind of points to the fact that you know, they, they don't really have a serious general election campaign going because Trump is the front runner in the race. Um, you know, this is a state where it makes sense to invest more resource, resources early because it's going to matter a lot more in the general election. So I, I'm kind of puzzled about, um, you know, why they wouldn't even put in a, a little bit more effort with winning over Nevada voters, even if that does kind of go to, uh, you know, trying to appeal to nonpartisans here. Right, right. Well, for the listeners, I guess I want to contextualize real quick the historical element of this, because, you know, how soon we forget that we did used to matter in other presidential primaries. Right. And so even looking at maybe 2020 for the Democrats or 2016 for the Republicans, you know, and for the Democrats, frankly, what are the ways that those elections were different? And I'm thinking Nevada specifically than the way that we saw this primary election play out for Republicans, Gabby. Yeah, I mean, if you remember back to 2020, among the Democrats, everyone and their mother was coming to campaign in Nevada from the big the big candidates, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who eventually won, down to, you know, some of the least likely candidates, the long shots. Um, that was a massive deal. You had, That was a huge state that after Nevada, people thought that Bernie Sanders would win the nomination. Um, you know, that was the third state on the calendar, and it looked like he had the lead. Um, so I think this year you're seeing that with, first of all, you have, even though he's not a sitting president, what's essentially an incumbent in Trump uh, in the race, you have a state party that clearly is invested in that incumbent winning. Um, I know we're not getting into the caucus primary mess yet, but it just seems like candidates looked at what's going on there and said, this is not worth my time or my investment. I'm going all in on those first three states. Yeah, well, I think even just going back to 2016, you know, it was, it was a much more open primary just in terms of 
of, you know, the race between Donald Trump and, and Ted Cruz. And, you know, you had a couple other folks in there like Marco Rubio. Um, and so, you know, even though Trump, you know, kind of ran away with that primary in the end, Nevada was a, a key early state in, you know, giving him some momentum. He, I think he kind of emerged as a front runner following that primary. And so there was just, I think, you know, more of a of an air of competition in that race than there is now where, you know, Trump, it, it's Trump's GOP today. It's, you know, it's not one where it's up for grabs. Okay. Yeah. And, and to that point, I think we may as well talk about the primary caucus debacle, because I think that goes directly to what you're saying, Sean, right? For the uninitiated, and God bless you if you're uninitiated, but right, there is there is both a caucus and a Republican primary this year because the party wanted to stick to the caucus. But there's been sharp criticism from fellow Republicans who are not Trump that the party is essentially in the tank for Trump, that they crafted the rules to benefit Trump's campaign in very specific ways. And Gabby, I, I guess to this point, and you've talked to campaign operatives about this, how is that specific sort of the mechanisms involved, the literal elections involved, the process changed the way that the campaigns have looked at Nevada. Yeah. So when they decided to go forward with the caucus um, and slap that, what is it, $55,000 entrance fee on that um, for campaigns, I think this was a major problem for the DeSantis campaign specifically because it's essentially being run by a super PAC. Um, so he has his official campaign, but most of the money and strategy is being directed through this never back down. Um, super PAC and the Nevada caucus rules. They, I mean, the, the caucus rules essentially barred super PAC involvement in the caucus. Um, and so, right. you know, that really locks out never back down from, you know, kind of having any sort of involvement in terms of boosting DeSantis in that caucus setting specifically. Yeah, this is like in the NBA, um, them having a rule that you can't have stars sit out two nights in a row, which was clearly directed at the Clippers who always do that. It's, it's a similar situation here where when you have one campaign um, that was seen as the biggest potential challenger to Trump clearly being the way that their campaign structure is organized being locked out of that caucus process, I think that sends a big signal to DeSantis and to others that, you know, we have a preferred candidate. Well, and I want to talk, too, about the timing of those rule changes, right? Because this happens at the party meeting uh, last summer. Um, but at that point, if we're to look at sort of where the race in Nevada is, only two candidates had come to Nevada at that point, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. DeSantis had top Nevada people at Never Back Down, including former attorney general and two-time sort of major Republican candidate in Nevada, Adam Laxalt. And even with those connections, whatever connections they may you know, be or have helped at that time, right? Laxalt was a top Trump lieutenant in 2020, frankly, in Nevada. That didn't matter in terms of the party still pursued a rule set that, like you said, punish DeSantis in a very specific way, and in doing so could help Trump and likely helped Trump. So I guess now to move on to hypotheticals. All right, let's let's put on our speculation hats and say, okay, Trump's won Iowa. Cool. Now looking at New Hampshire, which is going to happen in a couple of days, Nikki Haley is still trailing Trump, but let's let's say she wins New Hampshire. Um She's not actually running against Trump in Nevada. She will be on the primary ballot for which no delegates will be awarded. And she is literally not on the same ballot as Trump. So, Sean, uh, you know, what what happens if Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire? Where does Nevada even sit? You know, it's 
it's I think it's really hard to evaluate that, Jacob, just because Nikki Haley is running in the primary and, and Trump's in the caucus. And so, you know, th- there's no direct competition there. I mean, Nikki Haley's biggest competition is the the none of these candidates option that's uh, completely unique to Nevada. And so, um, you know, I think honestly, the biggest question is is how the media will treat her performance here. I mean, if you see headlines about Nikki Haley winning the Nevada primary, maybe voters, um, you know, kind of pick up on that and it gives her a little bit of momentum. But if there's the, you know, kind of right sort of context and casting that her and Trump are in different elections, then, um, you know, maybe it, it plays out a little bit differently. But I don't think, you know, Nevada means much for Nikki Haley in terms of, you know, post New Hampshire, just because she's going to shift all her attention to South Carolina. I mean, she hasn't, you know, I don't think she's spent any money, any real money in Nevada, at least. Um, and, and certainly she doesn't have any sort of campaign infrastructure in Nevada. Um, and so I, I don't think Nikki Haley is counting on Nevada much to to, to mean anything to her campaign. And I don't think uh, it, it will for voters really either. Yeah, I mean, I guess to that point, uh, our editor Riley Snyder shared <laughs> tweets with us that essentially Nikki Haley hasn't tweeted about Nevada, the state, since 2022, um, even though she's been here since then for the Republican Jewish Coalition convention list last October. Uh, but she's tweeted about Nevada, Iowa a bunch. So, Gabby, you've talked to the campaign operatives on this side. I mean, how would you contextualize the way that Nikki Haley has run a campaign or uh, not run a campaign in Nevada over the last year? Yeah, I mean, it seems like her strategy in Nevada is just still be running by that time, have enough momentum from New Hampshire and South Carolina, say that she can beat none of the above in the primary and get two days of headlines before the caucus and you know the actual delegates are on the line for that. But I think part of the problem is she's made no effort to explain to Nevada voters, first of all, who she is through any campaigning other than that one RJC stop, but why she's competing in the primary, why she chose to do that, um, what her vision is to take on Trump, who's been, you know, the dominant force in Nevada Republican politics for years now. Um, And so I think even if her best laid plan is to do well in New Hampshire, South Carolina, and then hopefully go forward into Super Tuesday with momentum, she's just completely ignoring Nevada in that regard, um, which maybe that's what, you know, the people she pays a lot of money on her campaign have told her to do. So it's not even worth competing. Just get a primary headline and move on. Um, but it certainly, you know, makes our race in Nevada much less interesting and leaves voters, I think, more and more confused. Yeah. And I guess, you know, what will be extra fun is there is a ton of dead air in between Nevada and South Carolina, South Carolina, right? There's almost three weeks, I think, on the calendar. So everyone will just Fly straight there, I guess. Well, actually, no, wait, Sean, Super Bowl here's a new hypothetical. It's happening here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Sorry to interject, but I mean, sure, you right. know, they can they can stay in Vegas for a few days after the caucus and, and you know, maybe uh, go see the Super Bowl in person or, or stick around and, and just hang out in the city for that. To maximize votes, they'll do the Rob Lowe thing and put on the NFL Shield hat um, <laughs> just here for the love of the game. Uh, okay. Well, Sean, I did want to ask, right. Okay. Here's, here's a new hypothetical, right? Say Nikki Haley doesn't win New Hampshire. Donald Trump wins it again, as the polls suggest Donald Trump will, right? Because just, just to be clear, I think the latest St. Anselm poll out of yesterday, as we're recording this showed Trump at something like 52% or 57%. He, he is essentially gaining support as other candidates drop out. So, okay. Say DeSantis, who has not cared about New Hampshire, gets something like better than single digits. Nikki Haley loses to Trump in New Hampshire. 
and the sort of momentum argument that Haley has been relying on doesn't materialize in the, you know, two-ish weeks till Nevada. What then? Does DeSantis look at Nevada like an opportunity because he is competing with Trump? You know, I think um, maybe this is a hot take, but I think DeSantis uh, in some miracle could win New Hampshire and it still wouldn't matter very much for Nevada. Um, I think that, you know, that's kind of a testament to Trump's power and his strength with the Nevada Republican uh, Party and with voters here. Um, But, you know, apologies to Ryan Binkley. It's it's a a two person contest in the caucus right now between DeSantis and Trump. And I think, um, you know, just anecdotally, what I've seen from Nevada Republican voters at at events, from speaking with them, um, they love Donald Trump and DeSantis is, um, you know, kind of a a meager second choice in comparison in in a lot of their eyes. And so, um, you know, as long as Trump is there, he's going to be their pick in the caucus. I think part of the problem, too, is that for a lot of people who tend to vote Republican but are maybe frustrated by the choices who are out on Trump, a lot of those people are probably registered as nonpartisan and they're not competing. They're not voting in either of these presidential nominating contests. Um, So I think the sort of voter base that someone like Nikki Haley, not even necessarily Ron DeSantis, but if you're if you're frustrated with Trump and you're kind of out on Trump, in many regards, that means you're kind of out on the party. Um, So I'd be curious to know how many people might have voted for Haley or DeSantis, but are not have registered as nonpartisan in the last few years. Yeah, I guess to that point, and to I guess the point of there have been a bunch of candidates who have dropped out over the last two weeks. You know, frankly, there is not a sort of Trump vote and anti-Trump vote, but a MAGA vote and an anti-MAGA vote. And to some extent, Ron DeSantis is catering to the MAGA crowd. Vivek Ramaswamy, the businessman, was catering to the MAGA crowd. As those candidates leave the race or lose support, that doesn't go to Nikki Haley, to your point, uh, Gabby, right? It's going to Trump. And so there is not a sense that in Nevada, right, there is a competition, I guess. And maybe, Gabby, you can speak more to this. Uh, DeSantis, after Iowa, flew straight to South Carolina as if um, there weren't, you know, (laughs) there's maybe another state in there. Yeah, it feels like after Never Back Down uh, pulled their staff from Nevada, so did DeSantis pull it from, I think, his campaign map, his mind. It seems like since RJC and they were all here and that was not really about Nevada voters, but about uh, the Republican Jewish coalition and a chance to give a speech about Israel. It seems like with the exception of Trump, they've just erased Nevada from their calculations. I mean, with, with all this, Jacob, I, I have a question for you, you know, just to kind of answer the, the overarching question here. Do we matter? Do we matter? Uh, we'll, mat- we'll matter in the general. Everyone, mark my words. Our six electoral votes, critical, critical in the general election. So come talk to me in October and November. That's where I'm at. We didn't even get to the Democrats. That, that can be a conversation for next week. Because, everyone, if you read our newsletter, you already know what this is. But I want to discuss the lightning round. Every week on the podcast, we are going to bring you stuff we just can't stop thinking about. But we promise it's campaign and election related. So, Sean, what's in your lightning round? Um, well, first up, I, you know, I'm, I'm a data guy. I'm a data nerd. So I love seeing these, uh, you know, really detailed breakdowns of, of vote turnout and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I saw a political a Politico analysis, um, basically looking at a, a precinct analysis of the Iowa caucus. Um, and it, it showed that Trump struggled in some suburban and urban precincts, even while he dominated the rurals. You know, that's where you expect him to run it up. But 
Um, you know, I think the fact that he struggled in some of those suburban and, and urban places uh, is is kind of a sign for weak uh, of weakness for him, and um, you know, potentially could hamper him in Nevada, where you know he's going to kind of rely on dwindling the margin in, in urban Clark County to, you know, make a difference in in a general election, and so. Um, I think that's something to just watch out for kind of as we proceed through the primary season is, you know, h- how well does he perform um, in really those suburban areas where he might pick up some swing voters? Yeah, I guess talk about how Republicans have tried to win Nevada. Look at the, how Joe Lombardo, the only Republican to win Nevada since, oh, geez, 2016, uh he did it in Clark County, right, by chipping away at Democratic margins, like you say, usually on the sort of on the suburbs, on the outside of Las Vegas, uh, because he's Mr. Sheriff. So can does Trump have vulnerability there? Something to watch. Gabby, what is in your lightning round? My lightning round is just I know so many journalists who had to go to Iowa for the caucus and just seeing their videos, their pictures, how cold it was. Trump's uh, if you vote and then pass away you know, do what you got to do, um, find a way to get out there in these negative temperatures. And I'm just like, why are we still doing this? This was like the whole point of Nevada. And that was on the Dem side, but first in the nation um, push. It had so much to do with, obviously, diversity and being a swing state and being relatively small. But just for weather reasons alone, I think we've got to ditch Iowa in both parties as uh, as the first state to go. This is just the temperatures. It just looked completely miserable. Um, and that's what I can't stop thinking about. Yes. Okay. This has been on my radar forever. Uh, This actually got cut out of our newsletter. I've been making fun of Iowa weather for weeks, uh, but the editors won't let me keep the mean jokes in. Um, (laughs) But Nevada, critically, even if it's cold, it's like cold is like uh, 40 degrees in southern Nevada. I do not consider northern Nevada temperatures when I think about this. I'm sorry. But Vegas, oh, we're going to be bombed. By mid-February, we are in the 70s. So yeah, exactly. Let's let's do it here. People underrate how nice it is in the spring here. And the spring starts at the end of January. So, and Jacob, John can attest. If, if I may, yeah, I can. But if I may, Jacob, I want to throw out one more lightning round item because I just saw it this morning. The city of Henderson announced uh, they're welcoming children to come vote during the presidential primaries to select their, their favorite ice cream flavor. So um, that's, that's a big primary. Although I did hear that Bluebell is holding a separate caucus. So... Uh, you know, we'll see what comes out of that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, yeah, no, I <laughs> genuinely curious to know the outcome of this vote. Actually, I do need the city of Henderson to publicly announce the winner. Probably chocolate. Um, and right? I actually want bone transfer. I mean, it's kids. Probably. You know? Well, do you think none of the above has a chance there? <laughs> it could. <laughs> it could. The ice cream haters. Uh, Joey, the podcast producer, has popped in the chat to just ask, what is everyone's favorite ice cream flavor? So I don't know. Gabby, you get to answer that first. Okay, I'm going to get roasted for this. I don't like chocolate. I never have. Um, And that takes a lot of flavors off the board. So my favorite flavor is vanilla. Um, But I think people unnecessarily hate on vanilla. It's not boring. And more people should just have some vanilla ice cream from time to time and give it a better rub. Uh, here to say that that opinion is valid. Vanilla is Thank also you. the best flavor. That's my answer. Oh, wow. So yeah. Thank you. Two for vanilla. It's a real, yeah. No. I got to throw out a wild card then. Like I love coffee ice cream. See, that's a real choice. That's like an actual choice. But um, so I respect it, I guess. Uh, Joey keeps saying yikes in the chat. Like he's he's heckling us. Everyone needs to know the listeners. Our producer is heckling us as we continue. So you got to reject modernity, embrace tradition, not vanilla. French. Gabby is obviously correct. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) 
So this this is an old lightning round item, but uh, apparently Voyager 2 images of Neptune have been wrong. And I promise this is election related because there was just a great tweet that was like, oh no, Neptune is actually lighter than we thought it was. It's not as deep blue. And so I saw someone say it was a ratings change. It's now not likely dem, it's tilt dem. So good stuff. Can't stop thinking about it. Can't stop thinking about uh, the partisan leans of the solar system. It's just bouncing around up there. Okay. Well, with that, I guess we're that's it. Uh, that does it for this week's episode of On the Trail. Our show is produced by Joey Lovato and edited by Michelle Rindels and Riley Snyder with additional help from Kristen Leonard. From the Nevada Independent, I'm Jacob Solis. We'll see you next week. 